Uh, yeah, sure. So, hi, my name's Adam. Um, I live in Brighton in the UK, but I'm originally from a town called Manchester that you might know from the Smiths or Oasis. Um, and I work in media and I work with soccer players and celebrities, um, which comes onto the theme of this a little bit later on. Uh, and I live in a boarding school with my partner, who I'm about to get married to very soon. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I I felt I... I saw your request for people to get in touch and talk about things and it really resonated with me after kind of checking out the podcast and hearing what people talk about and that, like you said, that kind of shared experience. So I've lost three people in two months. So I lost my uncle a couple of months ago to cancer. My partner lost her godfather, who is might sound a little bit removed, but he's probably the closest thing that I will ever know to a father-in-law. And I lost my granddad, who we we actually buried two days ago. When a catastrophic loss happens, your sense of self, your lifestyle, and everything you know is thrown into chaos. It's as if the jigsaw, which is your life, has been swept from the table, tossed in the air, is now in chunks and pieces all over the carpet. You lose trust in the world and everything you took for granted. You lose confidence in your life and in yourself. You lose your innocence. This week, our story comes from Adam, who is going to share what it's like to feel that loss quickly and suddenly and have it come crushing on you, but at the same time, understanding when you're ready and when you're on that journey of grieving. This podcast is humbly sponsored by BetterHelp. As a holistic health coach turned mental health advocate, I know the importance of finding the right support. Why? Because I've been battling anxiety and depression for over 10 years, and I know I'm not the only one who struggles with their mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. All you do is just fill out a questionnaire and help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I say this all not as someone telling you to simply click on another sponsor, but as someone who's been seeing a better health therapist for the past year. I've never felt more valued, respected, and full of hope for my mental clarity than I do with each passing session with my therapist. Join the 3 million plus people, that plus being me, who have taken charge of their mental health when experience better health therapists. As a special bonus offer to listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. Remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. Um... And I think it's, it's a time of reflection, right? Like you lose a lot of people and a lot of people who have been very solid in your life. I've known my uncle, my granddad for 32 years and I've known my godfather for eight years now. Um, and I think there's some really important things that come along when you lose people and what it means to lose people and how you feel about that. And I think I, um, yeah, I wanted to get in touch just to kind of go over that and, and talk about my experience and where I've, I've come from basically. Um, so I suppose the first question that you asked in the email was like, where did my sort of mental health journey start? 
So I, I've spent a long time kind of thinking about that because I think there's not a moment for me or like a, a point of change, I suppose. Um, but there's points that I look back on where there may have been a slight change or things change. So I suppose the, the best way of saying it is when I was, when I was younger, I used to run at a relatively high level. So I sprinted, um, yeah, I sprinted at a high level to the point that I, I was convinced that I was going to have a career, go to the Olympics and, and kind of work in sport as an athlete. Um, and then when I was 15, I got quite a bad injury. And now it wasn't like a career ending injury or anything, but it was an injury that kind of took me out of that, that main uh, goal point where, you know, it, it kind of, you start getting selected and start going through the, the process of um, being part of like a national team, for instance. Now, you think 15, 16 is, is a relatively difficult time anyway. Uh, and I think what I found was, I didn't know it at the time, but the loss of the ability to go from into that world of being an athlete really affected me uh, and I developed all these coping mechanisms and developed all these kind of ways that I ignored what was happening outside me without realising um, and I think I floated through life so I mean I'd, I'd not necessarily not dealt with issues before I'd like my parents had been through a divorce and I was quite front and centre in that so it's not that I'd dealt with adversity in any big way or not dealt with adversity in any big way. I think I definitely felt pain in my life, but I'd never felt personal loss and personal adversity in a way that really affected me and my day to day. So for the next few years, floated through life and went through the, the kind of the usual life of a, a sort of teenager in the UK, which is you finish school and you do your GCSEs, which are your kind of exams, um, go to sixth form, go to uni. I did a sport degree out of I suppose nothing else, uh, and somehow managed to get my degree. Yeah, right. And then, and then I, I, I hit that end point at, um, when I finished uni, and I was like, "What am I doing now? Like, what is what is happening?" Um, and I suppose, you, I suppose then, as in that part of the world, like we're in a this is like 2011, we're in a recession as as a world, and everything seems quite bad. Um, anyway, so I go I go away with my friends for my 21st birthday and meet someone while I'm at a festival in Spain. So she's 10 years older than me and um, lives in London or, well, near London. And we get along right away. And she, yeah, essentially, as we kind of continue to meet up after this festival, uh, gives me this out. This You can leave Manchester and you can come down to London and you can start a new life. Um, now, the kind of... The preface to this is at the time, my family members, especially my mum, were saying to me, she does not like, she's not filling me with confidence. I'm concerned about her, how she's acting and how she's being with you. Um, and what happened for the next two years after I moved to London was that I was in an abusive relationship, both physical and mental. Now, I suppose what's what's important to think about with, with regards to grief is at this point, I'm still floating through life, very unsure of what to do. And she's 10 years older than me and she's trying to guide me through everything. And I've, I've moved down to London and things start getting very bad very quickly. Um, I, at this point, am working in advertising for a newspaper. So it's a, a national newspaper. It's quite renowned. And she's working in fashion. Um, and we've got these both quite interesting jobs, but... and. I come back to Manchester to see my family and everyone feels very like 
almost proud of what I'm doing. Like a lot of people I know have, have kind of still going to uni or doing things. And I've gone to the big city and made this, this thing myself. Um, and she, yeah, behind the scenes, things are very bad. Uh, there's a lot of physical abu- abuse, a lot of gaslighting going on. Um, a lot of, yeah, like physical, but punching going on. I'm, I'm kind of having to conceal black eyes and bruises and things like that. Um, and I lived with that for a, a, a year before I decided I need to do anything. Um, and I think what's really important here is those same coping mechanisms that got me through those years where I didn't know what I was doing are coming into play here. I'm coming into this point where I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just ignoring it and other things are coming into play. So, yeah, a year goes by before I seek help. So and I, I, I get to a point where I know that I need to leave, but I don't know what to do. So I, I contact the NHS. Yeah, I contact the NHS and they say, you need to get in touch with some shelters, basically. Uh, so I ring a load of shelters and all of them tell me that they are for females only, that males cannot be part of these shelters. Um, but one shelter actually kind of asked if I wanted help to stop abusing the person who I was with. Um, so, uh, yeah, to kind of preface this, I'm 21, 22 uh, in London, a city that I don't know particularly well, uh, surrounded by my partner's friends and family. Um, and struggling and at this point she's gaslighting me and I'm not really sure where I stand and I'm blocking everything out so we hit um this point right we end up moving back in with her parents and I contact the NHS and I'm like look I can't get any help I think I'm a coercive and controlling human being I think I need some sort of therapy something to help me stop being like this to my partner to which they go amazing cool let's get you in um, and they prescribed me uh, a round of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy. So in the UK and the NHS, the way that it tends to work is if you go in for um, mental health issues, you don't necessarily just get given sort of antidepressants or anything like that. You have like a pathway and they almost always try and treat it with some some form of talking therapy if there's no real danger or risk. Um, now, this is one of those points where things change, I think where I'm talking about that that moment of change. And um, I started to see a therapist who, when I walked in, I was like, I've got these issues. I'm with this person. She says I'm controlling her. I think I might be. She says I'm an awful human be- being. I think I might be. And kind of go through all, all the, the kind of lies and things that I've t- been told for the last year, 18 months. I start, um, I start parroting back to this therapist. And she says to me, stop. Just stop right there. That's not anything that we need to do. Um, I want you to talk about you and forget her. And anyway, so we have six sessions. During those six sessions, she essentially makes me realize that I'm not doing anything. And I might not be perfect and I might have made mistakes, but I'm not abusive and I'm not controlling and I'm not coercive. Um, And the the kind of main takeaway takeaway for me there is that she exposed me to the coping mechanisms that I was using and she exposed me to the ways in which I was dumbing down, dumbing down the pain and going through the motions of trying to stop myself experiencing what was happening. And that's, that came through in, in many, many different ways. But that for me was a real eureka moment because once you recognize the patterns and you recognize what's happening, well, things become really clear then. Trauma has a way of sneaking up on us when we least expect it. We rarely see it coming and never know what the after effect will be. 
There's a number of life events that can cause post-traumatic stress disorder, such as death, war, and abuse of any kind. Life can take unexpected twists and turns, and it's impossible to expect what we will be the same person we were before the traumatic event. Questions may go through our minds like, how do I feel safe after trauma? Will I ever be better? Why did this happen? And are there ways to effectively cope? When something like this happens, it can be difficult to understand and process what's happened. Coping after a traumatic event can be difficult and confusing. In addition, finding healthy coping strategies can even be more challenging than the traumatic event itself. So leave that relationship and move back to Manchester. Um, and yeah, kind of float through the next few years, just knowing that things aren't quite right mentally, but things are kind of going on. Um, I meet my partner who I'm about to get married to. And she, um, I, I always call her my Renaissance period because she's like everyone in the world got her own kind of, um, I wouldn't say struggles with mental health, but has mental health times where things are better, things are worse. But when you kind of be completely true to someone, I think you can be completely true to yourself and you see reflections of what's happening. And I see, I see the moments of my vulnerability and her vulnerability and the way in which we talk to each other. So for the last, so we've been together eight years now for the last eight years, there's been adversities and there's been times it's been very difficult, but I've grown much stronger, much better developed ways in which to kind of understand why things are happening, work through those things. Um, so without going into too much detail about the ups and downs of the last eight years through work life and personal lives and home lives and so on and so forth, uh, in the last, yeah, in the last two months, I've lost um, my grandfather, my fiance lost her godfather, and I lost my uncle. Um, and we, we buried my grandfather um, two days ago. Now... I think what's been really interesting about the last kind of the last few months is when we lost my uncle, he'd been ill for a long time. He, he'd had cancer, recovered and then got cancer again. And although it felt quite quick, he'd been, he'd been unwell for a long time. And I, I really noticed that throughout that, I felt very distant from him and distant from the fact that he died. Um, but underneath, I felt very sad about it and, and really struggled to come to terms with, with what had happened and why he'd been so unwell and how he'd managed to, to survive as long as he had and then ultimately where it went downhill. Um, and I really threw myself at my pet, at my mum, which he was struggling, she just lost her brother. Um, and I really threw myself at trying to help her and talk to her, so like went straight up north and did all the things that I needed to do. Um, but I think what I noticed was these coping mechanisms that I'd not, I felt like I haven't dealt with for a number of years were coming back in. I was trying to get get everything sort of dumbed down to a real logical sense. I wasn't necessarily allow, allowing myself to feel things. I was deflecting feelings. I was trying to rush the grieving process and rush everything that had happened to allow me to get on with my day. Like I, I work in a, a startup it's a hard day to day a lot of the time you're making a lot of difficult decisions where you have to be on point a lot of the time and I think yeah those those same mechanisms of coping came in that are not healthy I don't think um not long after then no ex exactly and and that is that is a big part I think because we live we live five hours travel away from my where my mum lives and I shot straight up was there in a, in a very intense situation obviously where your family are all grieving um 
and it's not just your mum and you like I'm the oldest of five children and, and some of those like my my sister's 12 years old like she's a young kid um you don't just necessarily grieve your on your own you grieve in a situation I think and you take on that kind of big brother element as well um so yeah we, we we kind of went through the burial and went through everything and that was very hard but again coping mechanisms kicking in I was trying to push everything a bit away stay a bit isolated cut off um and then my partner found out that her godfather was ill uh, just weeks later um and that he'd been he'd been living with a, a, an illness for quite a while um and she noticed that he oh sorry she'd found out that he was in a sort of terminal state so went to see him um now i think this is again where not a eureka moment because that sounds positive but you have a moment of clarity i suppose and and one of the points that really comes in with me and i really recognize is that in the same way over the last however many years eight years we've been together and i've seen my vulnerabilities and i've seen my issues come through when my wife's soon to be wife's godfather died i saw all her grief and i felt all my grief in her and that was a really important part a really important part of what it means to experience something yourself for me. Um, I think, yeah, we, when, when Brian died, it was very, it was a very difficult time and and he was someone who was very close to her and had been a, a, a huge mainstay throughout her life. And she was in a very, very upset way. And I think as much as I saw the grief and I saw the pain, I also saw the busyness get in the way and the almost coping mechanisms that stopped her from, feeling it properly um and that was that was a real kind of yeah a moment of clarity for me where I, d- I didn't know I didn't know that I'd been repressing things and I didn't realize I'd been repressing things um so within days basically uh we lost my granddad and he uh, again had been he was 91 when he when he died um so it's not like he died suddenly he wasn't necessarily unexpected although it was not necessarily something that we thought was going to happen um and and talking about that flip we feel that again i noticed myself those mechanisms coming in coping doing all these different things and i felt with that new perspective of almost feeling it and almost having uh my partner kind of really i can see her in front of me and i can see how sad it is these these mechanisms coming in i think i was able to face it much more really now that was a, that was a really interesting moment. I think. I think when we lost Grandad, my mum really struggled, and by almost by necessity, it, this is in between Christmas and New Year. We went up north again to Manchester, and that kind of big brother, oldest son, kicks in. So you're trying to look after everyone, you're trying to quite literally hold everyone together and hold them through. And I really noticed the physical nature in which that I'd, I'd shut things off and I shut things down mentally and in in. in um, and in kind of uh, a way that stops me feeling things um but with but with granddad i think because i'd seen abigail be in a, a quite vulnerable state and upset as well i think it it helped me overcome those issues much more quickly and in a, in a healthy way so like i say we we only buried granddad two days ago and what's really interesting right now is that as soon as we got home after the funeral I began to feel everything really intensely. So I feel very sad. I feel very strongly. And I think at the moment, I feel quite grateful for the feelings because I feel relieved that they've come in and I feel relieved that they're happening. And I know that 
I'm on the journey now. I've not got a, a stunt or anything in, in front of the journey that's making me, um, that's not allowing me to feel anymore. So I think that's a really important point. Grief can be painful because losing someone important to you can be distressing and can come with some powerful emotions. But grief itself is not an illness. It cannot be fixed or cured or made to go away. In the first minutes and hours, you may have different feelings and emotions, and this is normal. There's a wrong or right way to feel or behave at a time like this. You may go into shock or feel numb. You may feel disbelief and think that what's happened is not real. You may even feel relief at first if the person had been in pain or if caring for them had become difficult. You might even try to carry on as though nothing has happened, or you may feel angry or in despair. Over time, the grief and pain you feel will usually become less strong. Most people find that they can adapt to life without the person who has died, but there's no time scale for how long this will take because it's different for everyone. The main thing is that when you're grieving, it's important to be kind to yourself and do what feels right for you. You may feel that the experience of grief changes you, but most people find that in time, they're able to enjoy life again. Always remember that it's normal to grieve and to find that there's a time when you do not think so often about the person who has died. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear the conclusion of Adam's story and where he is on this journey. We'll see you in a bit. Each of us is a constantly unfolding narrative, a hero in a novel no one else can write, which is why I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these stories here on this podcast. You see, if I could sum up everything I've learned from being a mental health educator, it would boil down to one thing. You are not alone. I believe in the healing power of telling your story and sharing with the world. And so I created an opportunity I'm so solidly behind when it comes to healing from trauma and tragedy due to the darkness of mental illness. As someone who's a listener of this podcast, I want to personally invite you to the Storyteller community for $5 a month. The Storyteller community is a private, self-led community for those willing to do the work to create lasting transformation on their path to greater mental clarity. It's a community that thrives in the mindset that in our oneness, we can find an opportunity to truly heal. Head over to the website at fragilemoments.org community today to learn more. I cannot wait to have you be part of the Storyteller community with me as we share our collective stories and journeys from all over the world. So head over to FragileMoments.org slash community, and let's build, share, and heal together. People from all over the world have been sending in questions, and it turns out that most of us are dealing with the same kinds of things, from breakups and loss to work pressure, racism to gender, dealing with parents to dealing with social media, and want to talk more about them. So ask me anything. Head over to the website today at FragileMoments.org slash ask. Whatever you think our generation needs to have conversations about when it comes to what weighs on us and causes our mental health struggles. Sometimes I'll combine research with my own thoughts, and other times I'll bring in an expert for a chat on social media where you can join the conversation. All submissions are anonymous. I only ask for general demographic info in order to understand our reach and our impact. So head to fragilemoments.org slash ask today. And remember, I'm just a human being like you. I just happen to think we should talk more. 
but it also reminds me of a, a book and I've just completely blanked on the name of the book but I read a book a little while ago where um, which is about antidepressants and, and people taking antidepressants in the world and the kind of over prescription of antidepressants so there's a statistic and please don't quote me on the um, on the validity and the kind of pure accuracy of this statistic but of all the people in the world who take antidepressants only about 4% have a true version of clinical depression as in they their actual physiological makeup causes them depression as opposed to the sort of rest the predicted rest of the um of the population who are on antidepressants or going through an antidepressant t- treatment uh, they are dealing with some sort of trauma or some sort of issue and and that that book was a real turning point for me because i'd been dealing with those kind of feelings of depression for a long time and i think it's about that dealing with with the pain um and i really felt seeing my partner was almost like understanding that i i wasn't physiologically depressed about losing all these people i'm i'm feeling very sad because i've gone through an, an immense amount of loss in the last two months both from a personal perspective but also a family perspective and also a kind of are in our home right now that perspective as well um and what i was hoping to do was to be able to speak to people and, and try and allow them to understand there's a there's a, a, a real value in understanding why you're sad and there's a real value in understanding what it is that's making you sad and what you're doing because you're sad now you may have clinical depression and you may have a physiological makeup that makes you depressed and that needs treatment and you may be at a point where you need to seek treatment because you are in such a, a state of sadness that something needs to be done about that but i think for me what's been really helpful is the the almost disconnect that's allowed me to work through the way in which i can take those coping mechanisms and as for as bad as they are they also allow me to see things in quite an isolated metric and really understand and separate out what it is that's making me sad so when we, we talk about this loss that i'm going through at the moment and the grief i think what i i feel is the sadness of loss the sad that i'm not going to be able to talk to my family members anymore and experience days with them like i used to but i also know that what i feel right now and how i feel right now is because i've lost them not because anything's wrong with me not because i'm have a propensity to be more sad than anyone else but i know i'm sad because of those things um and i feel really strongly that we all in the world like everyone doesn't matter if you're in new york or london or LA wherever it may be um, we all have adversities and I think it's all really important it's all it's very important for all of us to take those adversities with knowledge and understand that what we deal with how we deal with can have many effects and that doesn't make us anything else other than real human beings and that we have to learn how to deal with those things ourselves that may be using pharmaceuticals that may be meditating that may be listening to music but i think everyone has to learn how they deal with it for me it's quite literally taken me 15 years to really get to grips with taking that sadness and taking those feelings of pain and inadequacy and all anxiety all the things that come with you and allowing them to be and understanding that they're not wrong and they're not um they're not supposed like they're supposed to be here they're supposed to be with us because in some ways, they're a natural process. They were human beings, right? It's a human process to, to go through grief and to go through pain. And um, yeah, I think that's that's everything from <laughs> that for the moment. You have to accept reality and deal with it as best you can. 
You need to nurture remaining relationships, even if they have changed. You need to find new friends and new activities and replace the lost ones. This takes courage and time and effort on your part. Unpalatable as it is, you have to recognize and accept reality when you have a, a loss. You have a choice. You can accept reality and move on to building a new life as best you can, or you can give up. You have to accept what has happened, but this does not mean surrendering to misery. Your new life will be different. However, different doesn't mean better or worse, but it does mean things won't be the same. I was, yeah, I was going to say about, about coming home and about being in, in the in the kind of home environment. I think there's also quite a physical element to the, the trauma. Like we, my granddad lived in and around Manchester his entire life, basically. And we, that closeness to the grief and the closeness to where he died and the closeness to the family, I think was an important thing. And there's something really safe about being at home. Like we're, we're hundreds of miles away here from, from what is my traditional kind of family home. Um, and yeah, I think that, that journey is really interesting because I think the scenario of which you are in alters the way in which you can feel things like we all have roles that we play i think like i at work i'm in a relatively leadership role so i have to show leadership at home we are equals so me and my partner have a very equal relationship very shared experiences when i go out into kind of the world i'm i'm whoever i may be to those people out there but i think the way in which i act respond and deal with issues is very different and one thing i do know is that when i am at home up north in manchester I default to taking on the burden as much as I can for other people. Um, which again, I think is an important point to understand that you can sometimes things as simple as walking out of the door, being in a different location, being in, in nature at times can really alter the way in which your mind works and thinks and perspectives get formed. I know for me, some of the best mental health tricks, things I've ever done have been walking just literally walking it doesn't matter if it's in a beautiful location or it's down the street where we live it's the the active movement for me is, is an, an exceptional kind of um driver of mental process and i feel that that's again coming home different location having quite literally driven away from the pain there are many layers to our lives which can make the depths of the trauma we may experience in our lives that much more challenging to overcome and move forward from. Which is why I want to say thank you to Adam for taking the time to peel back those layers so that others can benefit from his process. If you want to connect with Adam, I'll leave a link for how to do just that in the show notes. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background music by Chad Lawson. These stories, though, they're entirely yours. So if you've got a story you want to share, I'd love to hear it. And you can do so by heading to FragileMoments.org slash TellYourStory. If there's something that resonated with you in today's episode, let me know over at at StorySharingPod over on Twitter. Above all, thanks as always to you, the listener, for tuning in to What's Your Story and helping me shed some much-needed light on mental illness. Any show, big or small, but especially a tiny, teeny one like this one, survives based on reviews from you. So give this show a review over on Apple Podcasts when you're done processing all you've heard today so that others can see how important stories like these are to share. And I'll give you a shout out. Thanks for tuning in again. And I look forward to hearing your story one day because we all have within us a story to tell. A song yet unsung.